twice. Then I get this, and I think I'll be ready to go. Are we ready? Okay, I'm ready now. It's often been said, and uh, you've probably heard it many times, that uh, if God ju doesn't judge America, He will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. We know that relates to the homosexual aspect that's in our country today and all over the world. Um, actually, I was, I was thinking about that statement. I'm going, the last part of it kind of bothers me because I can't imagine God apologizing to anybody. But I do know that He judges every nation He has. I know the gist of it, and that's, that's the idea. But uh, in fact, our nation of America is not only going to have the wrath and judgment come someday in the future, it is already experiencing the wrath of God. And if you're wondering, how is that? Well, when we look at our text today, you will see that we are under the wrath of God. The, this nation is, and that's what uh, we, we look at here. You know, we think about a future judgment, and that's true, but God's wrath has been done over and over and over throughout the history uh, of uh, mankind, throughout biblical history and all the way up to our time, and it's happening right uh, before our eyes in our time that we live right now. Americans sing, God bless America, and we even pray that God would bless America, but why would God bless America? in the state that it's in because America as a whole has abandoned God. And that's what we looked at last week. The abandonment uh, by God to uh, people's sins. Uh, he has abandoned all the way back, if you really want to look at it, to the Garden of Eden. Now you could say, well that doesn't make sense with the good news. Well no, that's where the good news comes in. Because He has made a way for His people to be justified and saved and adopted into His family. But whenever a nation abandons God, God abandons them to the sin that they do. They're, God abandons sinful, truth-rejecting man to self-destructing sinfulness. And so... God's wrath is working right now. It always has been working. Because God is just. And He is not a God who just winks His eye and says, that's okay, you know, and laughs it off. He's a holy God. And in chapter 1 of Romans, we know that most people who know their Bibles know that this section here is definitely dealing with some horrendous sins. And by the time we end this chapter today, it condemns man severely. And it does take every person into view there that has ever been born. Chapters 1, 2, and 3, that's the idea that Paul puts forth. And this is what he starts with in this chapter 1. We've seen the decline of man uh, and what, what happens. Paul makes it crystal clear how depraved man is in this area that we've been dealing with, and that he shows where man has gotten. Shows exactly how he got there. 
And God is angry, and we used that as a, a, t- a message to one of the texts back a few weeks ago. And starting in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. That tells you that His wrath is being done all the time, isn't it? It is not just a future event, but it is revealed against any kind of unrighteousness of man. So God is angry at it, and as we move onward, we see that revealed to Him, revealed from Him, about man. But we have also seen after verse 18 that He has revealed Himself to mankind. Even though as angry as He is and His wrath is upon man for their sinfulness and unrighteousness and ungodliness, He shows His existence. And what does man do with it? They suppress the truth. They try to push it off even though they know there's a God. So we talked about that one week. We saw that man not only denies God exists, but he rejects anything that is dealing with his truth. They go to worshiping idols, idolatry. Or if you want to put it in our uh, modern uh, kind of knowledge, it would be replacing God for some kind of God that we want. Whether it be drugs, whether it be alcohol, whether it be uh, just uh, things that can be even good, bad, indifferent. All of those things become idols to us. So uh, whenever you have idolatry, people don't want the true God because they reject Him and they reject Him and hate Him passionately. So as a result, as man abandons God, God abandons man. Uh, He abandons man to what we looked at last week. God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity. He abandons them to impurity. And then, as we will look this week, He abandons them or turns them over to degrading passions. And then thirdly, in verse 28, and we'll look at today also, is that He gave them over to a depraved mind. So we have what? To impurity He turns them over, to degrading passions He turns them over to, and to a depraved mind. That's all part and parcel of what happens when God abandons man. So we will continue on with what we started uh, last week in verse 24. He gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. The sin actually isn't mentioned there, but then you read on to the text that we're dealing with today. It's obvious what it is dealing with. It's a very touchy subject, and matter of fact, sometimes there are things that shouldn't even be mentioned. And I know we're treading on a line here of how far do I project what is behind this passage. How far do I go without maybe going too far? And uh, I've challenged myself this week, what do I do with this? Uh, I could just read it and everybody knows what it is. But it really enhances our thoughts on how evil man is really is, and uh, not only homosexuality, but the flurry of the catalog of sins that finish this chapter up makes you dizzy. It is incredibly horrible. 
And I'm so glad that God hasn't revealed all what all that means because I'm a part of mankind. And I am not hateful against people who believe something different than what this says. And I know that we have to be careful how we deal with them, but at the same time, we cannot back off from the truth. And the world is telling you that uh, you should not be saying anything against it. Matter of fact, you should be heralding it uh, and be a part of it. Embrace it. And we as Christians committed to Scripture cannot be. You see, they have a depraved mind. God has abandoned man to deep, dark, shameful sin. What we're going to do is read the text here, starting at verse 26. And let's stand and see what God has to say about this. I didn't originate this. Uh, neither did somebody that was hating homosexuality. But God tells us the story. If you're biblical, you already know it. And you know what He stands for. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Let's pray. Father, great God, thank You for Your Word once again. It's not a comfortable area to be reading and studying. And Lord, we know very well what has happened in this nation, in this world, as it is so many different strange things that actually are inverted, perverted, and totally opposite from the way that your word says, Lord, we are in the minority who believe such things. And Lord, we know that there are many that call themselves Christians who would disagree what we just read. They would say that that is wrong to be having something like that in the Bible. And yet, Lord, we know what Your truth is. You want the best for Your people. And so we look at this, we're reminded, and then we're also reminded of these people who have gone all the way without trusting in Jesus Christ are lost, regardless of what sins they did. 
They need a great Savior. In Jesus' name, Amen. Very first one here is I've got God gave them over. That's the text this week. Last week we dealt with really the same thing. I just changed the title. I could have put part two, which might have been better uh, because it's just continuing from verse 24. Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity. And now we will go to God gave them over to degrading passions. This is um, turning it over. We're going to the second element now in man's lostness and his abandonment by God. And that's the expression of his sinfulness. Mankind has this in his heart and now here's how it's expressed. It's demonstrated in this way. So we start off with the first phrase in verse 24 and it says, For this reason. For this reason, because of all of the previous things that we have looked at, the previous verses uh, we see set this all up to show the practical outworking of their aberrant behavior and their abominable conduct that they have been a part of. And I will tell you this text, as many commentators wrote, it is the most sobering and fearful passage in the Scripture. Or at least I could say it's one of the most sobering and fearful passages in all of the Bible. Uh, We've seen that so far in this downward spiral, God gives some truth. What does man do? He suppresses it. Then he rejects it. And then he goes into idolatry and then into immorality. Uh, That's what verses 18 through 25 were about. That's where we left off last week. And so it says, here's an expression of what's inside. You see, it's what is inside is the why the bodies are doing such a thing. Their hearts are evil. They hate God. And so this was hinted at as we looked at bodies in verse 24, as I said. And now Paul wants to get very specific, and he does. How does man defile and dishonor his body? How does that happen? It said it in verse 24 when they, uh, their bodies would be dishonored among them. Well, what we're going to look at here is how their bodies are dishonored. It's a vile affections, or another translation line says, degrading passions. Degrading passions, and then it'll go on to explain what that is, just in case somebody doesn't get it. How far does man's corruption go? How far does it go? I, I don't know. I don't ever want to know how far his corruption goes. What's the ultimate expression, though, that we can have as far as a picture that people can like, like either see or know what's being talked about? Uh, what's the ultimate expression? Well, that's what we will look at. It's a monstrous vice. A monstrous evil. I'm going to be making a lot of quotes from a lot of people today. Um because a lot of people have had a lot to say about this. John MacArthur said Paul wants to show us how sinful man is, and he wants to do it in a concise way. 
So when he wants to demonstrate the vile affections that rise out of the human heart, he picks the worst, most disgraceful, disgusting, degrading passion there is, homosexuality. Because it is not a perversion, it's an inversion. It goes further than perversion. The words refer to an unnatural sexual relationship. Inverted means upside down. That's what this is. It's totally upside down. I'm seeing an upside down world and you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Not only in this, I'm seeing it in, in every kind of thinking and in every avenue that it's turned upside down. I remember the song, I think it was called Truth, was the group back in the 80s, back in the very early days of our church. And we sang that song, Upside Down. And uh, it's so true, isn't it? It's more upside down now, or more obvious, I think, to our, uh, to our eyes and ears, our senses, than it ever was even then, if that be possible. So uh, we get the idea, for this reason, because of what all we've seen, God gave them over to degrading passions. Well, let's get to gave them over because that's going to be the power word that will help us interpret everything else for today. 24, 26, 28. God gave them over. The word there in the Greek is paradidomai. And it means to hand someone over to a, to a power or to an authority. Uh, more obvious than that, it's to turn one over to a judge. To turn one over to their sentence. To turn one over to their judgment. And the, the word is a legal term. Paradidomai. And you can see it's kind of like a court judgment that's being made. It is a severe uh, sentencing of the judge. And so in this sense, we could say God turns them over, and this is what we, we talked about, or abandon. Uh, we can say that the biggest abandonment, though, really, was at the cross, where God the Father abandoned His Son. That is hard to imagine. That's the way that He decided that He could buy us out of the slavery of sin and bring us into His family. That's what it took. That was severe wrath, wasn't it? He handed His Son over to this punishment, knowing full well what it was going to do. Well, that was the plan. It's the, the plan from the foundations of the world, wasn't it? So God's in control, folks. It's great. And you can say He abandons people? That's the worst thing I've ever heard. I don't want a God like that. Well, then that wouldn't make him righteous, would it? Wouldn't make him holy. Um, he would not be a loving God. You can look at all the attributes, and then if he if he allowed all that to happen, then he's not a good God. And so to turn one over to judgment, uh, and a couple things that MacArthur said about this. There's two senses to it. There's an indirect sense, which is withdrawing his restraining hand that he has. And lets people do what they do. Now there's truth in that. And that's very much a part of it. He's done that from day ones since man sinned. And that is, is true. And he, he allows the consequences of judgment because of their sins. It's inevitable. It's destructive. 
It tears everybody up. That's what sin does. As a matter of fact, it brings on death. As Scripture says. Now that would be an indirect way of just taking His hand off, letting man do what He does. But there's another direct sense. Part two of this abandonment, which I really want to put forth, and I'll try to make it very concise and clear if I can, because it helped me understand a little bit further what is going on in our times and why this is happening. You see, God is in on all of this. He is not just idly sitting by going, okay, let's see what happens. Because He knows what will happen. It's part of this grand design which is far beyond where our minds can take us. Uh, But people go so deep into sin that God drives them there even to the point of despair which they can see a holy God and they are horrible and they need a Savior. That's what God does. He drives people to such a place that they know they need God. See, most people don't need God. They would tell you they don't need God. Matter of fact, they don't even want God. So it's not so much that God is going to judge America someday for homosexuality, and there is that degree to it, but it's not as much as it is that He is judging now. What is His judgment? This thing and these things. The judgment is is that He turned man over to what we looked at last week, immorality, impurity. He turned them over. He abandoned them to immorality. If man doesn't have God, they will always go to sin and sin and sin. That is the nature of man. And I know somebody out there uh, somewhere, if they uh, were to hear something like this, they'd go, yes, but I've always heard that man has something good about him. Don't you believe it for anything because all of sin, all have sin, and not only sin, that is their nature. That's who they are. Every part of us from head to foot, there is nothing good there. Now, people can do good things, but if it's not for God's glory, it's really to God a stench. All your righteousness is as filthy rags. So we have to look at it the way that God says it, not the way our Sunday school said it or the way it's being set out in the world today by the psychologist and such. You see, the judgment is that God turned man over to immorality and homosexuality. And I want you to listen to this. Homosexuality is the judgment. Did you catch that? Think about it for a moment. Homosexuality is the judgment. You say, well, that's the sin. Yeah, yeah, it is, but it's much further. God turns them over to that. And the degree it goes to is incredible. God has abandoned them to homosexuality as this is His wrath right now. There's a worse wrath to come. 
It's the final judgment. You die once, then comes that judgment, and then hell forever. You see, as far as this country is going, you, you look at some of the worst sin, and of course we all think of murders, and we think of thievery, and all the things that go on, you know, and you go, well, well which is worse? And, uh, well, this is one of the obvious ones. They're all sins, and they're all... You know, people are destined to hell because of sin, unless it's taken from them and forgiven. Uh, but that's the idea. Homosexuality is the judgment. Now, with that in mind, we take this, and by the way, you know, of course they're going to be judged because they do this homosexuality, and God never tempts anyone to sin while I'm saying this. And you can say, my head is spinning, I cannot understand that. Exactly. There's a lot of things about God that we do not understand and don't even pretend to do that. The, the doctrine of election, this absolute sovereignty of God, of choosing the ones He wants to bring into His kingdom, is beyond mankind's thinking. And, you say, and your natural mind says, oh, that's not fair. God's just. And He's never unjust. The thing is, is that he should send everybody to hell and not bring one into his family. That's the idea. If we don't understand the depravity of man, we don't understand any part about the gospel. Don't, don't be thinking that you do. Because that's where it starts. That's where Paul starts in Romans. Romans 1 through 3 is dreadful. <laughs> and I remember Penny, whenever we did uh, Romans, uh, I don't know, back uh, in, in over 10 years ago, 12 maybe, something like that. And, Barb came right in on the middle of it, but she came in chapter 8, which is the, the beauty of Romans. It's incredible. And I mean, from there on, you know, actually, by the end of Romans 3, the light is turned on. And it seemed like it took forever to get out of that. But we really learned something out of that, didn't we? We see who we were, if you've been converted. What we really were. We're like all of these guys. We're like what the world is out there. That's what we were. Regardless if you looked as bad uh, as them or not, it doesn't matter. And that's really what Paul brings forth here. So he says this. This is his wrath. Folks, America is under the wrath of God right now. Now, I'm not saying that he can't do anything about it. Because I'm one who thinks positive in Christ. But I do know His Word too. And I do know history. And if I look at history, it doesn't look good. But actually it does because God is bringing about the way that He wants it. Because it has to get to a tribulation. It has to be that there is that kind of judgment that God gives. So we know that things aren't going to end up right until Christ comes back. As a matter of fact, the Bible does say in Timothy that the world waxes worse and worse now. Nobody's left out of the door yet. I know we're taking a chance. But I'm just saying... Huh? Okay, it's locked. Okay. Turn up the furnace back there. Get a feel here. Got a little humor here. Got to have something, right? Okay. But this, I think, more than anything, explains what's happening. What's going on? Okay, he gives them up to degrading passions. 
He turns them over to degrading passions. He abandons them to degrading passions. Now, the word there for degrading, and we're going to take do some word studies with this if it's okay. Is it alright if we do that? The word there is atimia. Timia itself means honor. Uh, Timothy's name meant honor. Timia. Uh, it means something of respect, reverence. But when you put the negative ah in the Greek, before Timia, you have ah Timia. What does ah Timia mean? No Timia or no honor. It is shame. It is disgrace. It's humiliation. Now that's the idea of the, this word that we look at right here in verse 26. Degrading passions. Now your, your phrase may be a little bit different. might be a different word, but it's the same Greek word. You guys caught that so far? You got that right? Okay, so it's practice without shame. It's vile. It's degrading. Degrading passions. Now, the word for passions. You ever heard of pathos? Passion. Uh, sometimes that it's dealing with the desire, and sometimes it's good. You can have good desires. Good desires to get an education, to get a job that you're really after, and you're passionate about that. Or I'm passionate about preaching and teaching the Word of God. That's my passion. That's what I live for. That's what I'm about, right? And so are you. You're, you're passionate about getting, gospel, getting the gospel out and living it and reading God's Word. There are other things that you might be passionate about. Might be hobbies, you know, might be sewing or uh, things that you just like to do and you're passionate about. It. That's good. That's a good desire. God puts the desires of our heart in us. The, usually in the New Testament, and I think it's every time, but I could be wrong, but I think every time it's a bad desire, and it's uncontrollable desire, it's an excited emotion that's not good. Look in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, and we'll see this same word used in a little bit different context, but very close. Uh, verse 5, therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire. Do you see that? Evil desire. Uh, that's evil pathos. That's the idea. There's, there's one other text that has that desire. That's in a, a bad sense. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 5. And we see again how that is used in its context. 4.5 says that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion, pathos, lustful passion. That's bad desire, right? Bad desire. Not good at all, it's evil. So... Um, what happens is a passion, passion is a drive. It's a force that makes you want to do something. And it doesn't rest until it's satisfied. And so that's the idea of this kind of desire here. Uh, and it emanates from a fallen nature. Not from the Word of God. Not from the Spirit of God. But from the fallen nature. And it causes the victim to suffer and have to be 
satisfied no matter what. I've got to do this. I've got to get this. Whatever it is, they have this sinful desire. And until they get it, it drives them crazy. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? That's the idea of this degrading passions. Uh, And by the way, I was talking about it's obviously unnatural here. It's an inversion. And um, there's a far deeper dimension of the wounds of sinful society. Even though we think about the acts, there are so many wounds that comes out of this one act. It's been said that is is the most disgraceful, disgusting, degrading passion of all. It's an inversion. It's upside down. So that is what is happening here. God gave him over to that. Can God do that? Yeah, he's got a wrath. Yeah, he is one who is holy, never tempts man to sin, and yet he turns them to their sinful ways. That's the way that all men would go. If he didn't come in and rescue you, me, other people, out of that train that is heading right on into hell, and he picks us out of there and delivers us, he saves us. Okay, so God gave them over to degrading passions for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. Interesting, now he starts with women here. The word is thalus. And this is interesting here. I didn't really ever really look that up before. Rather than it being women, your translation probably says women, mine says women, But honestly, in the Greek, it is less than women. When you think of men and women, you think of a high degree of respect. There's a gentleman. This is what men are about. You think of the highness of what that is. It's creation of God. Made in His image. Men, women. God did not use those terms in our text today. It's fascinating how to the very nth degree, God uses the Greek language to get it specifically what He means. I think it's really neat. Uh, in the sense of what He uses here, Paul uses this word thalus, and it means female of any creature. When you think of animals, you don't call them, oh, well, that's a man animal there. No. It's a male. Or it's a female. And it's dealing with, as far as humans are concerned, it's dealing with gender or sex, the sex of it all. Uh, So that is what's happening here. Animals are females and males. We are males and females, but what is it really pointing to? Well, what they were designed to do and, and what their gender is. That's the idea. Now, why does Paul start with females versus males. Why does he start with women here? Have you ever wondered that? Always kind of have. Well, why didn't he just start with men? With men, right? Or male with male, really, to be more accurate there. Why didn't he do that? Is that a pretty good question? 
Well, let's let's try to get uh, maybe a, uh, some help here. Let's draw from some good theologians. Charles Hodge, one of the best commentators and theologians of the uh, late 1800s, said this, Paul first refers to the degradation of females among the heathen because they are always the last to be affected in the decay of morals and their corruptions. It's therefore proof that, catch this, this is where the best part is, and it's not good, all virtue is lost. He starts with this. When you get to the point where women are lesbians, you've gone to the very bottom of the barrel. Because see, women, as far as morals are concerned, usually are behind the men, maybe many, many years, till eventually they follow suit. And down through history, folks, I'm not trying to be negative, I'm just saying... That's the end of that society when it gets to women and they trace back. You can look at the Roman Empire, look at it, and see what happened. That's what they did. The Greek Empire, same thing. Just keep going backwards. You go all the way back to the Egyptians, same thing. That's what it goes down to. You first have men with men, and then it finally boils down to women. When that happens, that's the what Hodge says there, all virtue is lost. Our virtues are gone. Paul mentions women first probably to emphasize the extent of debauchery under the wrath of abandonment. Let me say that again. Paul mentions women first probably to emphasize the extent of debauchery under the wrath of abandonment. Because in most societies, in most cultures, women are the last to fall in homosexuality. That comes from another writer. Woe to that society that has that going on. Women have been known to embrace lesbianism until after men have joined with other men. When the women get involved, it's also stated by somebody else that cultures have so deteriorated that the society is in its last days. Now, this is just coming from man and man looking at history. I'm not making a prediction. I'm not making a prophecy. Neither is this a definite biblical prophecy. You say, what's well, all over? But I am saying that is how serious it has come. That scares me. If I weren't a believer, it'd scare me. In another sense, it doesn't scare me because there's nothing to fear if you know Christ. It may, it may be seeing women that down through the years, they're kind of resistant because of the nature of their creation. And they respond slowly to immoral things. They've had a little more values on things down through history. In our own nation, I think people can write about that. Paul says this, for even their women did this. Why does he say this? Even their women did this. Saying, this is especially shocking. That's what Paul is saying. It wasn't too long after that that the Roman Empire folded, basically. Sure, there were remnants of it all the way through, but I mean, for the power that once was, it deteriorated. and That's what happens. Mary Whitehouse wrote this, When sex is deformed, cheapened, and exploited, then the potentiality of life and the whole social fabric of society 
deteriorates. Boy, that's nothing new to any of us, is it? I don't think there would be any of us here that would disagree with what we've just heard. Remember, we've been looking at the decline of man, and it got to this. We're there. We're there. My. They exchange. We're still dealing with the women, but that kind of goes along with the, the men too. They exchange the natural function for that which is unnatural. People say, well, it's that by homosexuality is not in the Bible. It doesn't ever say that it's a sin, that it's evil. What are they reading? Uh, they exchange it. That means to stop something and to start something else. You're into something and then you stop it and you start something else. That's exchange. It's just like exchanging the truth for a lie. Why would anybody do that? Well, nature is their character. Fusikos is the uh, word there, but it's the character uh, of that thing. Uh, function is the, the use of it very perverted use, usage, or the act. Paul uses a well-established term for that, and it's called chrysis. And he specifically mentions that that's exactly what he's talking about. There's no guessing here. Well, I think it means this. No, that's what it means. But today you can say male, female, man, and woman, and now you have to keep on describing I'm the kind of, I'm a him, he. And um, I'm white, I'm a him, he, I'm Irish, English. Have you heard that recently? That this came from, you've got to divide yourself down into different kinds of groups. Uh, a word doesn't mean a word. A man, it's going to be probably illegal one of these days to say you're a man or you're a woman. Unless you're the opposite. I don't know, I don't <laughs> That's how far it's gotten. It's so confusing, isn't it? No, it's not. As we look at this, this is why this all happens. They carry a sexual activity contrary to the intention of the Creator. It's against nature, against the God-given creation. I remember at Alpha and Omega, whenever I was at the store there, people would come in and... Talk about homosexuality. Maybe uh, I had one high schooler that came in and said he was. He was proud to talk about it and talk about his mate that he uh, was married to. As actually wasn't, you couldn't marry legally, but uh, that's basically what he said. And he said, well, you know, and I told him, well, you know what, let's, let's go to just the word fornication. That word, porneia, is really... Uh, a wicked sin. It's evil. Uh, it, adultery. What, any kind of sex outside of marriage. The young people really need to be told this over and over. I know it's automatic. and But the thing is, God says it's wrong, it's evil, it has no place for anybody, but especially Christians. It's wrong to have sex outside of marriage. It's a bad sin. Sin is sin, so I pointed, okay, you're fornicating with him then. He says, well, if I, if I could marry, I'd marry him. 
Now, what is he? He's about he was 16, 17 years old. You know, and uh, you know, I go to the, he went to a mainline church here in town. And uh, of course, he said he he'd actually talked to his pastor about it, and actually the pastor was uh, favorable to the Word of God. Thank the Lord. But he said he's had many arguments with him. And he said, you know, he kept going instead of going to the Word of God. Guess where he went? History. And, you know, showing, you know, what, uh, how good it really is. He twisted the truth. But, uh, and he said it was meant for that time. But the time that we live in now, it's okay. Huh? How, why, do you, why do you even call yourself a Christian? Why is it that you don't even believe the Word of God? Went to the law, went to Leviticus, went to Romans 1 here especially and other places. And he said, well, that was back in the first century. Those days have been passed and we have jettisoned up and we are much better off today than they were. And so Paul is reacting to what uh, maybe uh, wrong thinking was. Okay, unnatural, contrary to what is natural. This is what the Bible is saying in its literal meaning. And, and so therefore, we're not getting this wrong. We're not reading it wrong, folks. This is the language of the day. Homosexuality is abnormal. It's unnatural. The abnormality of it is very unique to man. The practice of homosexuality is so widespread in ancient Greece that it was considered normal, finally, and even desirable. That's what it is here. Scripture frequently links idolatry and immorality. Have you ever noticed that? They are two words that go together. Because once you turn over from the true God and go to a false God, whatever's in your mind, now you can make up the rules of what that God is about. How convenient, right? So when he invents a man, he rewrites the rules of human conducts. And so he deceives himself into thinking these kind of things. So now we go to the next verse. 27, in the same way also, the men abandon the natural function. They abandon God. Now they get to the point where they demand, abandon something that is the natural thing. It's, it's natural. That's the way that God designed it. <clears throat> it is a natural thing. They do what is unnatural. Now, uh, this is a personal choice in the sense that they do it not because they were born that way. And that's what we hear today, despite some of the studies that have come out from people who aren't necessarily Christians. But most of them say that you're born that way, so you want to go the, the route that you think that you really are. So they forsake God's given natural role, and God having created man, Adam, and woman, Eve, uh, with the direct instruction to be fruitful and multiply. And uh, that's the way he designed it in that way. Uh, Men and women who are really, I guess you could say, females and males have deliberately repressed the way that God has made them in order to practice this homosexuality. Now, we, we've got to get to the law to start with this. 
We'll just use a few texts. But you think of Genesis 19 and you read all of that and it's Sodom and Gomorrah. We know the story. I'm not going to read that whole thing to save us some time. You know the story and you know why they were judged, right? But they really showed how evil they were by their acts that they did. So we'll move ahead to Leviticus, which is the law that's given uh, some, quite some time later after creation. And I said chapter 18, right? Verse 22 says, You shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. What does God think about it? Well, somebody might say that was during whenever they had the, they lived by the law. People who would be going to churches could say that, who now believe in uh, marriage of, of homosexuals and such. And they'd say, well, that was the God of the Old Testament, the God of wrath, and He's not that way anymore. But that means the Old Testament and the law really is out of... Uh, Time, it needs to be thrown out and we don't even need that anymore. Well, now you've thrown away Scripture. What does Revelation say about throwing away Scripture? Right at the end of Revelation, right at the end of the whole Bible. Okay, well in chapter 19, I believe there's uh, one... Uh, we're in Leviticus 18, right? And I believe... Um, and it might be in... 20. I lost my spot here. Oh, it's 20. It's chapter 20. It's not 19. 20 verse 13. It says, If there is a man who lies with a male, as those who lie with a woman, both of them have committed a detestable act, they shall surely be put to death. Their blood guiltiness is upon them. Wow, that's even more severe. It's talking about death as the law put forth. Now, I'm not pronouncing that we need to kill everybody that's a homosexual, just in case that gets out. That's, but this is what the law said. Uh, we are set free from the law because the law shows what you really are. So the law does. It's, it can't save you. It's designed to show you who you really are. And boy, it just... But it, you know, there, was, there were things there that really had to be put forth. We go into the New Testament now in 1 Corinthians, and I guess that would be a good one to go to because in Corinth they had a little bit of everything going on there, didn't they? Uh, it, you know, to Corinthianize, you can imagine what all that meant. Well, Paul writes to the Corinthians says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He says, Don't you know the, un the unrighteous? And remember, the, the wrath of God is upon the unrighteous, Right? Well, don't you know this? You know that on the unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God. He could have left it with that. But he says, do not be deceived. And here's some of the things that they all were a part of at one time. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, if you're a fornicator, having sex outside of marriage and that's your practice, it'll show you here that you'll not inherit the kingdom of God. You will go to hell if you are this. But you keep on going. Nor idolaters. You see those two words? Quite frequently they're together. Nor adulterers, nor effeminate. This takes in all of the LGBT uh, community, doesn't it? LTBGT, <laughs> you know, yeah, XYZ, and on and on. Takes in everybody. 
nor homosexuals, and he goes on, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. You see what's in there. If you practice any of those, and that's your way of life, you're doing that, you are not going to God's kingdom unless you repent, turn to Him, you quit that, and you follow Him. And that's the idea. That's, that's, just, that's just a few sinners there. A few sins is what we're talking about. There's a whole catalog of sins you can go on and on and on and on and on, and on with. It's your nature, ultimately. But he's saying, here's what's the problem. If you're doing these things, you reject yourself. You think you're a Christian, you're doing this. You're not. You're wrong. Wow. Okay. And one more. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. Uh, the, but it did say homosexuals are not inherit the kingdom of God, right? So what about those people who are going to church saying they're saved and they believe in God and everything and they're still practicing homosexuality? What does it mean? And they continue to do it. That's their lifestyle. They're going to hell unless God intervenes. First Timothy 1.10, you say, Boy, Dennis, you're awful black and white. I, I'm just reading the Scripture here, right? <laughs> Okay, let's start at verse 9. 1 Timothy 1, 9. Realizing the fact that law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious. That's what the law is made for, to show them that they're sinners, that they would be driven to Christ. For the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers and mothers for murders and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, that takes in all of them. You know, if you're not Christian, uh, well, again, they don't inherit the kingdom of God. That the, the law condemns you. That's the idea. Now, we've gone through those. We went through the Old Testament. We saw some New Testament. We see it right here in Romans. I think it's very clear that Paul is talking about homosexuality, lesbianism, uh, the whole transsexual thing, all of that. So it was common in the first century in Rome, folks. We know it. We've heard about it. There was no sense of shame. That's where it had finally gotten. As far as the Roman writer is concerned, uh, homosexuality was never prohibited at that time by religion or law, and it was acknowledged in the state with no shame. It was perfectly free to do. The Roman Empire even taxed homosexual prostitution. What's that telling you? That it was legitimate business. Homosexual prostitution, and they taxed them. They even gave boy prostitutes a legal holiday. Boy prostitutes. Same-sex marriage was legally recognized by Roman emperors. Roman emperors married men. When Paul wrote this book of Romans, all of this stuff was going on. This is one of the reasons why he puts this in here and he starts with it to show how depraved they had come. Paul, whenever he wrote this, Nero is emperor. Nero is a very evil, wicked man, totally deranged. And he took a boy by the name of Sporus, and he had him castrated. He then married him with a full ceremony that had a grand parade to the palace with a big procession. 
and he made the boy his wife. Later, Nero lived with another man, or a male, and Nero became his wife. Wow. For 14 out of the first 15 Roman emperors were homosexual and blatant at that. You see the time that we're in, what's happening? It's not new, folks. It's been here. It's been here before. It goes way back. This is because God turned them over to that. Did you know that the ones who are noted most for moral virtue, some of those writers, Socrates, Plato, Zeno, are charged with the sin of homosexuality also. That is amazing, really. Cicero said this, that the practice of homosexuality was common among the Greeks. We talked about the Romans. Go back further, the Greeks. That their poets, the great men, the great ones that were respected, even the learned men, the philosophers of the Greeks not only practiced it, but they gloried in it. That was the custom. Not just in just particular cities, but all over that nation. Xenophon said the unnatural love of boys is so common that in many places is established by public laws. That's to protect them. That's okay. He alludes to Sparta. Plato says that the Cretans practiced this and justified themselves by the example of Jupiter. Aristotle says that among the Cretans there was a law encouraging that sort of unnatural love with boys. A lot of those kind of things are going on. And I don't know if you've heard of the stories among politicians and lawyers that have gotten themselves mixed up with young boys. I, I'm sorry to bring this forth. It's like, am I stepping over the line on this? This is very questionable. I know we have a young crowd here. But let's... You know, if you look at history, this is what has happened. This is what is here. We can stick our head underneath the covers and act like it's not happening, but it so much is. It uh, made me very discouraged when I was reading this. I'm going, this is the way of man for years. Among the Romans to whom Paul was writing, the vice was the same way. It was during that time. And writers have brought forth flocks and troops of boys were brought in and great care was given them and to train them up for this detestable employment. That's what they did. They raised them up and they trained them that way. Don't we have people today that are taking away young teenagers or younger, even in the 20s, and making them to be, to do these kind of things, 
trafficking. We hear about it constantly. The traffickers are coming over the border every day. Who knows how many hundreds and thousands are coming in through the border free of charge. and Probably be given money for that. Never be taxed. Amazing, huh? Well, that happens through the years. But George Duncan set a positive note here. I like this. In nothing did early Christianity so thoroughly revolutionize the ethical standards of the pagan world as in regard to sexual relationships. How did things change in the Roman Empire? Christians, the church grew, made an effect, told how wrong and evil that it is, said the things that Paul said even though that empire kind of caved away, Christianity was changing lifestyles by just the new nature that was in man. About one being born homosexual, Ray Pritchard said this, no, there's not one who's been born that way. He argues that it's either ignorant of the Bible or they have deliberately perverted the Bible's teaching uh, he says, you can talk all you want about genetics, the, uh, the absent uh, of fathers, the overprotective mothers, about early sexual confusion and sexual abuse. All of that is going on. You can talk about all that you want. And it's going on. But the fact remains, every act of homosexuality, whether in word or in deed or in lustful thought, every single act is a personal moral choice. Martin Luther had a statement about this. Martin Luther? Really? Is going on at that time? I find it impossible to avoid offending guilty men. It's impossible to avoid offending. They say, well, I don't want to offend them. Well, Martin Luther, I'm not so sure if he, it mattered to him who he offended about anything. <laughs> But he says, it's impossible to avoid offending guilty men, for there is no way of avoiding it by our silence or their patience. And silent we, we cannot be because of God's command, and patient they cannot be because of their guilt. Coming from Martin Luther all the way up into the 1500s, 1600s era. It kept on going, it kept on going. And so we see that men abandon the natural function uh, that would be with the woman, and burned in their desire toward one another, quickly burned in their desire, they can get the idea, but it's a raging lust. Echio, it means to instigate something destructive. It's dealing with flames. It's in it's lust, being inflamed. Uh, being inflamed on dry wood, dry timber, and it flames up by the winds. It's a rage of lust. It's not satisfied. It's just a continual reaching of it. Their lust could not be satiated. It's an all-out endeavor to get everything satisfied. As soon as they're satisfied, they want more. It's like a ravenous wolf. A ravenous wolf gets the taste of blood and they can't have enough. They can't have enough. They can't continue on a burning level of lust. Sodom 
we think of that story and the men of that and the angels are there and they see them and they want to get them. They're consumed with that. And they ignore the fact that even when they're blind, they still want them. Remember that? That is this burning right here. That's the idea. Um, it's a lust level that's incomprehensible. We, we can't understand it. It's a lust level that's extreme. The average person that's a homosexual has 300 partners a year an average. It's not uncommon for them to go to a hospital, have all manners of articles extracted from deep within. Doctors have been brought in to separate them, to take limbs out from each other. There was a coroner by the name of Coroner, who was, Helpburn was his name from New York City. And he wasn't a Christian, he was just, uh, uh, I guess you could say a secular coroner, but he wrote a book after he retired that was probably wise. Uh, <laughs> I did 60,000 autopsies, and I'm not one to make judgment on lifestyle. But I would warn anyone who chooses a homosexual lifestyle to get ready for the consequences in 60,000 autopsies, he said, I can take one look at a corpse and tell you if it was killed by a homosexual. You're not hearing in the news how many of these murders are by homosexuals. Have you ever heard much about it? As a homosexual, that kill, we're, we're told that they're loving human beings. If they're the worst of mankind, they are horrible. They're killers. Massive mutilations is what he was talking about whenever he looks at a corpse and he says, that's a homosexual that killed that man. There's a burning level of lust beyond anything, on any standards, frequent murders, other crimes that are beyond description. See, the world doesn't want to go on and tell about this. It's not normal. It's an inversion. It's the most abnormal relationship imaginable. And that's why Paul uses this picture of this. Well, they say there's no evidence demonstrating that homosexuality is a symptom of decadence or the fall of a civilization. There's no evidence of that. Oh, <laughs> they haven't even read Romans 1. That's really where you get it. But, uh, you know, look at history and there it is. Uh, they're not interested in God. They're not interested in His Word and they're left with their own silly reasoning. Remember, we've looked at that. In San Francisco, everybody knows about that. That's the capital of homosexuality. Uh, at one time, the city government had a workshop on S&M safety. That means positive for it. They, were, they advertised in the front page of the San Francisco Chronicle. And they, they, they came under the auspices of the city of San Francisco. The city sponsored this. And it was learning how to have sadomasochism. And the San Francisco coroner estimates that 10%, at least at that time, of the city's homicides were related to sadomasochist actions. He says if we can train them right, they won't kill each other then. That's the kind of foolish reasoning. Okay, we, we move on. and uh, I, I'm done with this, this part. Men with men committing a decent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. 
the Duke penalty is itself, it starts with it and then how it destroys families, how it destroys what God has designed, how it destroys human beings. They kill each other. And in the homosexual community, probably uh, the biggest percentage of uh, suicides today are done by homosexuals. You got it. And it, it, they die at a very early age. They receive in themselves the due penalty. Sin always gets what it deserves. Unnatural vice is perverted reward. Suicide, murder, diseases. We knew about that back in the 90s when we started hearing about the, the disease that was attacking and now they have pills and such they can take to keep from it and of course they get destroyed by that eventually. Well, that's one thing, and the next one is a depraved mind. I am going to stop right there. And we'll continue next week. I thought I was going to finish the chapter. Because I can't breathe any longer. Dennis, you choose the hardest passages. That's expository teaching. But you know what? I cannot stop there as we get ready to pray here to mention the powerful gospel. Because in verse 16, that's where all of this started. It is the power of God and the salvation. Now think of Corinthians where it says, Such were some of you. In all those sins listed, and there's a catalog of sins, and I could go on and get it done in five minutes here, but uh, I think we have really taken a beating this morning. I've been dealing with this text all this week. I don't relish in it, folks. Really, I don't. I, I don't like to look at that kind of thing, but it doesn't matter what I like and what I don't like. I do like truth, though. Yeah. Amen. And I think it helps me understand and I hope for you a little bit more of really of what is going on. And we don't hate those people. And God is the one who takes vengeance upon them. We never do. We are commanded to love them. And we're also commanded, if we get an opportunity, to share the gospel with them that they could be delivered out of such and such a way. And we can give history, we can give scripture, it's going to take the Holy Spirit to convert them, but I hope these are some tools a little bit that you guys can take uh, with you a little bit, or or just uh, as reminders. There wasn't anything new here, you learned it all, but yet at the same time, uh, maybe we learned a little bit of things that are old history. But Scripture speaks out, and that's what we have. We have good news. We're just in the midst of bad news. It goes on for a little while longer, but if you're a Christian, it shouldn't bother you because you're delivered from it. You have been set free. You're no longer under bondage. And you can read that and you go, you know, God is a good God. And God is going to turn over those who do not want Him who do not acknowledge Him. That's, that's the thought. So is that good news? And we live in good news. And we're going to leave here today taking home good news. Let's pray. Father, You are holy. You are right. You are just. 
people may say you're not fair. But Lord, justice, if they want justice, that's what they get. We do not want justice put on us because it was put on Christ at the cross. We do not want justice because we know we are not just. But we have been declared righteous. We've been declared just before you. And, Lord, it's because of all that you've done. It's your great grace, your great mercy, your great love. And, Lord, we as Christians sit here and see these lists of sins that we've looked at. And we go, how can people do that? And if we're Christians, it is detestable. We hate it. We know it's not right. And we know, boy, I'm glad I'm not involved in that. But we very well could have been. Some way, somehow, you delivered us from this sinful bondage. Yes, we're not perfect, and yes, we still sin, but it's not our way of life. And we're conscious of it, we are guilty, and we hate that. And we come screaming to you, forgive me, Lord. Your forgiveness has already taken effect at the cross, but also in our daily living. We repent. We confess to you, we desire, we do not want to resemble the things that the world is doing. Thank you for this time that we've had. It's been a great day of worship, Lord. Thank you for your people. All glory to you, in Jesus' name, amen.